So last week uh, I missed you. Uh, you're maybe thinking, oh, were you not here? Uh, but uh, I was at Journey Church in Lisburn. Uh, that's a, a forge connection, or not a forge, sorry, that's a Tabar connection down at, at Journey Church. It is a forge connection as well, because Greg's there. But uh, um, I was down with them uh, last Sunday morning, and just a very similar buzz to here, a bit bigger, but, but similar people, similar heart for their community, and uh, really in, enjoyed being with them. Um, Will they ever have me back? <laughs> you do sometimes wonder. It's nice to be invited somewhere once, but when you're invited there twice, then you know you're okay. Uh, we are going to, uh, to Luke, and we're going to Luke 17. Uh, quite, quite late in the day yesterday, I, I relented. I was going to put this off because I felt it needed a bit of work, and I didn't have a lot of time, but I, I sort of gave up and gave in and got the big Luke books out uh, late last night and a few mugs of spicy drink and turned over a difficult series of teachings from Jesus that are seen, the first 10 verses of Luke chapter uh, 17 are seen by many scholars as being four distinct, separate, little sort of bite-sized bits of teaching that Jesus does and they don't tend to connect them or relate them. And I'm going to try to actually look, find a thread that, that runs through these 10 verses. Uh, so hopefully I'm not too far off the mark. Um, Luke interviewed people, probably did a lot of research for writing his gospel. He was not an eyewitness. He was not one of the 12. And uh, so he, he maybe has sat down with somebody and gone through their notes of what Jesus did or what he taught uh, on a certain part of the journey to Jerusalem and he's put these four things together. And they do look disconnected, but I'm, I'm going to try to pull out a theme. Let me read verses 1 to 10. The first little snippet, first two verses, is about offense. Offense. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Fairly clear imagery there from Jesus. So that's a, uh, the first two verses are about offense. Then we have a bit about forgiveness. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent... Forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Then there's a little bit about faith. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. I'm sure you've always wanted to do that, haven't you? A tree and what on earth are we talking about here? Uh, I think it'll, it'll hopefully come together. Interesting thing happened last Sunday morning after I was done preaching. This guy came over to me. You may have encountered people who do like prophetic art and they'll just, they're really good artists and they will draw during their prayer time, or their prayer time and they'll draw things that, that the Lord's just bringing to their mind. And he came up and he gave me this picture of, of a finger and a thumb holding 
uh, a tiny little seed and he said, I drew this about two weeks ago. Uh, I wasn't sure who to give it to you or, or, or who to give it to, but you're in worship this morning. I felt I should give it to you. And he said, it's a mustard seed. And I'm thinking, right, next Sunday morning, we're going to be on the mustard seeds. So that's nice. And then the last little bit is a strange little mini parable. <laughs> if, if none of the other parables have, have sort of fried you, this one is, is a, bit of a, a bit of a melter. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? You know, expecting the answer, no. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Goodness me. <laughs> Four little snippets, little bites that I think we can pull together. At the start of the chapter, taken as a standalone statement, Jesus is talking in the first two verses about those who cause his followers to trip up in their faith, to stumble, maybe even to stumble into sin. And taken out of the context of the rest of the passage, this is a very, very dire warning against those who would intentionally cause others to stumble, who would put... The picture is literally of just a stick or something put in your way to cause you to trip up, an intentional tripping up. And he he says, Jesus says, things that will cause people to stumble, or your Bible might say things that cause offense, or might even say things that cause people to sin. The Greek word is scandalon, uh, and, and offense seems to be possibly one of the best ways to translate it. He says that's bound to happen. So if we take this sort of on a slightly broader scale and just apply it to, to sort of the church and life in general and not just people who are trying to trip you up intentionally in your faith, you're going to get offended. People will offend one another. In any relationship, family, marriage, parenting, siblings, church, there will be times that people will offend one another. It's bound to come. And Jesus says, for those who intentionally do that to trip somebody up in their faith, the judgment that awaits them is, is, is worse than having a millstone tied around your neck and chucked into the sea. And that's pretty bad. And Jesus is maybe saying here in verse 2, I'll deal with the people who offend you. I'll deal with the people who cause you to trip and stumble. I'll deal with the people who try to make following me more difficult. I'll deal with them. Don't you worry about having to deal with them. But on the, on the larger scale, I think this does tie into what Jesus is going to go on to say in the next couple of verses. There will be times when we will offend one another and it's not intentional. There will be times when we're clumsy with our words, when we overlook something that we said we would do and we forget to do it. When we fail to make good on a promise, there will be times when we will offend one another. What will we do with that offense? When we are offended, what will we do? What if it's in the church? 
and we've offended somebody or someone has offended us. Do we go to Jesus and remind him that he said, I'll deal with the person who offended you. I'll sort it out. I won't overlook it. And we say, yay, Jesus, I'm going to pull up a chair and I'm going to watch you hang a millstone around my brother or sister's neck and chuck them into the sea because they deserve it. We want justice and we want vindication. That sort of attitude will destroy a church. The attitude that whenever we're offended, we desire justice, vindication, and the person to get their just desserts. Jesus says, as he bridges from verse 2 to verse 3, talking about offense, he says, watch yourselves. The first thing that you should do when you've been offended by a brother or a sister in the church, by someone in, in family or whatever, your, your, your important relationships, the first thing you should do, Jesus says, is not judge the other person, is not desire vindication or revenge or whatever. He says, watch yourself. Watch your own heart whenever you've been offended. Watch your own heart. We have responsibility to, 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 for what's going on, tending to the garden of our own hearts. And if we do not watch our hearts, being offended can very quickly morph into unforgiveness, which is what Jesus is going to go on to talk about in, in a moment. And the consequences of unforgiveness in, in a life are, are devastating. So Jesus goes on in verse 3, he says, Watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So there's a responsibility. And please note that this is not just some random person. This is your brother or sister. This is somebody in the family of faith, in the community of God's people who has caused offense. And Jesus says you can rebuke them. Now, that doesn't mean hit them okay it doesn't mean you're going to give them back as good as you got you want to put them down put them in their box show them who's boss that's not what it means it means you're going to confront the issue you're going to address it you're going to stand and and, and deal with the the offense that has been caused jesus gives permission for that confrontation to take place and note again brother once the person, once a brother has sinned against you, still brother. <laughs> once a sister has sinned against you, still sister. Doesn't change. The relationship is not broken. It is not, they're not referred to in some, it's not ex-brother or ex-sister. It, it's still a brother or sister in the community of faith. The sin or the offense that that person caused against you does not change who they are in relationship to you. And this is a call not for um, nitpicking in somebody's life. This is a call for normal, healthy family behavior. Where if you want relationships, important relationships to flourish and to, to, to grow and to be deep and to go the distance, which doesn't happen enough in churches. If we want relationships to go the distance, there has to be that atmosphere in which we can call one another to account in love. Because not because we're trying to point out somebody's flaws or failures, but because the relationship is important. It's important for ourselves and it's important for the, for the glory of God. And in, in this confrontation of things that have been done wrong, this rebuking, this facing up to things and talking about them, Daryl Bach says, 
the assumption in all this, this is really good. He says the assumption in all this is that the disciples have a quality in their relationships that allows this type of positive, honest, loving, confronting behavior to occur without destroying those relationships. This assumes that there's a quality in our relationships that can allow that to happen. From the counselling world, Linda has, has sort of educated me about secure, strong, safe relationships. And that's the sort of relationship where you can say to somebody, you hurt me. <laughs> or you can say to them, whatever you did you know, caused offence or, or uh, you know, because it's safe and it's secure and the other person isn't going to fly off the handle with you. And then relationships that are more based on fear. And if we're going to have this ability to confront, to rebuke, to forgive, there's got to be a quality in relationships that allows for it. The awareness of, of sin is not the problem. The awareness of a need to confront is not the problem. The confrontation itself is the problem because we're in fear of another person because the relationship is not what it should be in the body of Christ. And one of the things we're talking about and praying about a lot in leadership at the minute is, is in the months that, that lie ahead, what do we do in the church that's really going to deepen, 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 deepen relationships? profoundly and mature relationships it's similar you know that that inability to confront somebody because you're scared of the response is similar to maybe being with a a young child out in public with with a young child your own and they do something wrong and they're very young they're at that stage you know where, where when they're not just quite emotionally mature enough to receive correction and you correct them and they go clean mad. Yeah, everything just, just explode. And uh, throw a bit of a tantrum. And a child will, will do that sometimes when they're corrected. And a parent sometimes will neglect to correct a child because they're scared of that response. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to handle it. But it has to be done. And usually when a child throws a tantrum, you know, it, it'll, it'll go on for, for a, a period of time and then they'll come back. They want to restore a relationship. You know, they'll go back and they'll make a bit of a racket and slam a few doors and, 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 and whatever. But they'll usually come back to restore a relationship. And it's usually forgotten about whatever it was about really, really quickly. But adult believers in the church sometimes don't do that. They don't come back. They don't restore and it's devastating for the church and it's devastating for our witness in the world if we cannot develop deep, deep relationships that can handle offence and can talk about it and can forgive it. The church needs these in order to survive. If this is to be a house of restoration, then it should be a house that is uh, evidenced that there's restoration all the time in relationships. That if people cause minor offence or even major offence to one another, restoration takes place because the relationship is too important. The relationship is more important than being right or being wrong. Restoration. And after the confrontation takes place, after the, 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 the rebuke has happened, there then needs to be forgiveness. 
There needs to be forgiveness. To allow people to, to move forward past the failure that they've made. I was thinking about this just this morning at some stage. And I thought to confront someone and to rebuke someone so that they're fully aware of what they've done that has caused offence and not forgive them. It's a horrible place to leave a person. In between. Horrible. You've confronted, you've rebuked and you've left them yearning for forgiveness but you don't give it. That's horrendous. Awful place to leave a human being. Because when we forgive them, we allow them to move past the failure that, that has been made and allow them to grow and restore the relationship. And again, this is not legalism. This is not about picking out little flaws. Oh, you did this and you did that and you shouldn't have said this and that was not nice. This is about a community that are dedicated and committed to righteous, restored relationships that go the distance. That go the distance. And a question arises in the mind of anyone that would listen to Jesus as he says, uh, you know, you, you need to forgive those who have sinned and they've repented and come back, that, that, that you forgive them. Uh, he, the question isn't asked in Luke, it's asked in Matthew, but it's anticipated in Luke. How many times do you do this? You know, how many times do you let that person cause offence and they come back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. How many times before you draw the line and say that's enough? And Jesus says, there's no line. There's no line. He says, if they sin against you seven times in a day. Now, how many waking hours are there? It depends who you are. How many waking hours? Aaron's got about 23 waking hours probably at the minute in the, in the day. And Emma as well. Um, but for, for, for someone to offend you seven times in the course of one day, that's, that's quite a lot. That's every couple of hours. Okay, that's that's really hard to deal with. Jesus goes to the extreme and he says, you must forgive them. Always seek the restoration of the relationship. So he's talked about offense. He's talked about large scale offense that is intentional, cause people to trip in their faith. And he says there's going to be severe judgment for those who do that. I've broadened that a wee bit and talked about general offences. How we offend one another. And the warning to watch ourselves. And then the call to, to confront. And that confronting. Sometimes your hands literally are tied. You can't confront because you know on the, you'll, you'll get a tantrum. But I want and we want and all of you I'm sure want to have a depth of relationship here. That there are no tantrums. And that you can say, that you can do what needs to be done because the relationships are secure and strong. And then Jesus will go on to talk about this, this mustard seed faith. And it seems utterly unrelated. But before we get there, I want to just take a little aside on forgiveness and unforgiveness. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, because this is the thing that sort of has got hold of me as I've thought about this passage. And it's, it's, it's Tim Keller that has led me there. Tim Keller has become my friend in the Lucan journey. <laughs> there are a few times I just haven't had a clue what to do. And I've gone to Tim. And Tim has said, here's where you go. And at this point, Tim helped me out. He brought me to, to Hebrews 12. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I want you to see how living in peace with others, relationships in the church that are healthy, flourishing, strong, secure, safe, those are a mark of holiness. And without those, other people aren't going to see God. So if we want people to see the Lord, then we want to have relationships that are peaceful, harmonious, strong. And then in, in verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. A lot of people talk about this bitter root as being unforgiveness. A root of unforgiveness that causes bitterness and that causes anger. And I I got to thinking, what, what do roots do? What do roots do? Roots anchor something. These are bad roots. These are bad roots. Okay, there's good roots. These are bad roots. Roots will anchor something. They will hold a tree in place so that it cannot be taken away. It can't be removed as long as the roots are there. And unforgiveness, if we have a heart towards one another or towards anyone that is unforgiving, then what happens is we allow those roots to anchor the grudge. And as long as those roots are there, the grudge will be maintained. The hurt, the pain, whatever it is, the offence will be maintained as long as the roots are there anchoring it under the ground. So roots will anchor something. Think of that tree as being a grudge. As long as there's roots under the tree, the grudge is maintained. Another thing that roots are, or the, the, in terms of their location... Roots are underground. They're underground. Nobody can see them. In fact, you might not even be able to see them yourself. In your heart, it is possible for these roots to grow and you're hardly even aware of it. It's under the surface. No one sees it, but unless you deal with it, it will increase and it will gradually take hold and the grudge and the offence will become more and more solid in place in your life. If you refuse to acknowledge, if you refuse to deal with it, how angry you are, how hurt you are, if you refuse to forgive that other person, you allow those roots to grow in the darkness and they just gradually take hold and take hold and take hold. They anchor the grudge. They are under the ground and they spread. Roots of trees spread further than you ever imagine. You sometimes have a tree over there and you have a waterway over here, a long way away, pipes or a drain or something, and the roots begin to interfere. And you're like, the tree is away over there. How is it interfering with this? Those roots spread. And they affect. If you, if you are unforgiving, Those roots in your life will spread and they will affect more things than you could ever imagine. They just go out wider and wider and wider and affect all other areas of your life. And another thing that roots do is they will prevent the growth of anything else. They'll sap the ground of nutrients and the tree, the grudge tree, maintains its position strong and upright in your life, dominating the landscape, this grudge. 
but nothing else can grow. I have two hydrangea plants in the front garden. They are probably getting to about 15 years old and they are not much bigger than they were when I got them, these two plants. It's embarrassing. I had in my mind this vision of this wall of, of, of you know, those big hydrangea leaves and the big flowers and, and the colour and I just thought this is going to look spectacular. And the two of them were just sitting there, feeble. Not much bigger than, than the day they were brought home from the garden centre. And the reason is that I planted them in ground that is beside a Leylandi hedge. Okay? Now this Leylandi hedge is huge. And uh, there's about maybe a thousand pounds worth of footballs buried in it, lost forever in the Leylandi hedge, never to be seen again. Um, and the, the, the low point of the gardening year is cutting the thing. It's horrendous. It's not my hedge, it's the neighbour's hedge, and I'm thankful for it for privacy and all of that. But, but what this Leylandi hedge does is the ground all around it, for quite a spread away from the base of it, is as dry as can be. Nothing can grow. And if you have this grudge tree planted in your heart and you do not offer forgiveness, nothing else that you plant will flourish. You will not bear fruit. You will not be able to go about your Christian life and be fruitful in other areas because right in the middle of the garden of your heart is this grudge tree with roots that have spread for a long, long distance that have sucked up all the moisture and goodness out of the ground and all the other little things, beautiful, pretty little things that you try to plant, the fruit you try to grow, the flowers you try to to encourage, none of it, none of it comes to fruition because of the roots under the ground. You see how important this is. And in the context of Luke, Jesus is talking about people who come and repent and you forgive them. And if we if we line that up with the wider picture of Jesus teaching, can I just say the repentance part on their on their part is not necessary. The forgiveness part on your part is. Okay? Don't wait for someone to come and repent before you completely release forgiveness in your heart. Make it part of your prayer life when you've been offended that you just repeatedly say to God, God, I forgive, I forgive. Lord, root out anything in my heart that would cause bitterness and anger. Get rid of it and just make that your discipline. Don't make it contingent on their repentance. And bitterness is closely associated with anger. And again, I acknowledge Tim Keller in this because I'm a word nerd. All right, I love words. I love knowing the origins of words. I hated it at school. I hated English language, English literature, the whole shebang, not a bit of interest. And now I have this nerdy thing about words. How you change one letter and suddenly, oh, that's a so Anyway, anger, the old word for anger, wrath, wrath. Do you know two other words that we get from wrath? I love this. You're probably sitting thinking right now, you're such a weirdo, but I love this. A a word that we get from wrath. If you hold on to your unforgiveness, your bitterness and your anger, your wrath, another word that comes from the same root word as wrath is the word wreath. Wreath. And some of you might already have one and might buy one over the next few weeks. You might even make one. Do you know what the word wreath means? It means twisted. Twisted. Because you take the... Whatever foliage and you twist it all around, you make, you make the wreath. That's what anger will do to you. That's what unforgiveness will do to you. You will become a twisted person. 
a distorted person in your thinking, in your values, in how you treat others. Anger, unforgiveness will twist you and distort you. And as if that wasn't good enough, wreath. Here's another word that comes from wrath. Wraith. Wraith. And the only place I've ever heard of a wraith is in Lord of the Rings. Yeah? And a wraith, a wraith is a ghost. And that word wraith also comes from the word wrath. A, a wraith is a ghost. A ghost haunts a place. In ghost stories, in fictional ghost stories, in films, novels, whatever, there's, there's the idea of a ghost, because of some traumatic event, it haunts a place and can never leave it can never move on. It's always imprisoned for all of eternity in that place because of some traumatic event. And if we are angry and unforgiving and bitter and full of wrath and we've allowed the roots to just go unchecked as far as they want, then we are haunted. Reliving a negative experience over and over and over again in our anger rather than releasing it. You see how far these roots go and how much they will affect our lives. So, Jesus says we are to forgive every time. You must forgive. And forgive, the word forgive, and you'll you'll get it in your old sort of King James version of the Bible about forgiving our debtors, uh, forgiving those who debt against us. The word forgive is, a, is an economic word. It's a word from the financial world, world to do with overlooking a debt. F- to forgive the debt was to not force the person to pay the debt that they own. That's what the word forgive originally meant. And whenever we are offended by somebody, we have been hurt by them. The debt that they have against us is that they have hurt us. And what we want to do is we want to make them pay the debt by hurting them (laughs) and enjoying watching them being hurt as well. They owe us because they have hurt us. We want to see them get hurt as well. So we do little things like make them feel bad, isolate them, ruin their reputation, slander them, talk to others about them so that that they'll view them in a bad light. We will try to force the other person to pay the debt by hurting them. But Jesus says, no, you pay it. Forgive it. It'll hurt you to pray for that person, but do it. It'll hurt you a bit more to bless them instead of cursing them, but do it. It will hurt you a bit more when you get an opportunity to ruin their reputation and you don't take it. That'll hurt you a bit because you're paying the debt that you'd love them to pay. You're taking it on yourself. You're paying the debt. You're forgiving by, by choosing to celebrate when that person has a victory in their life that you choose, instead of you know, gritting your teeth and saying, oh, right, all the good things happen to people like that. No, that you're saying, you're blessing and you're celebrating their wins and their victories. You're forgiving. Instead of wanting to cause them hurt and damage, you're taking that yourself and you're forgiving them. And the disciples freak out and say, hang on, <laughs> we don't have faith for this. I don't think this is an unrelated saying. I think this continues straight on from what Jesus has just told them in, in verse 4. Somebody offends you seven times, sins against you, seven times come back saying, I repent, you must forgive them seven times. And they say, increase our faith. We can't do that. We can't do that. 
And I, and I don't think, and I didn't read this anywhere else, but I don't think that is unrelated from what's gone before. I think what Jesus is saying when he responds and says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Hang on, a tree being uprooted? A tree that you don't want in a certain place? And it's being uprooted and it's being, I heard that. I wonder, did that come on the audio as well? Like, because I heard, I'm going to listen to myself later and see if that. <laughs> That's a new thing. <laughs> I did think I could just overlook this, but he's going to laugh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, class, back on, back on task, please. <laughs> it's just interesting to see who's going to leave now. Um, yeah, there's a tree. And we've just talked about roots. We've just talked about unforgiveness and this idea of a, a grudge tree and how, how we anchor it with our unforgiveness, how it spreads, how it does damage. And Jesus now is talking about a tree being uprooted. And he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can uproot this tree. And I'm going to tie these things together. And I might be taking liberties, but I feel okay about it. If you have the tiniest bit of faith, the disciples say to Jesus, we can't handle this degree of forgiveness. And Jesus, I think, is coming and saying to them, no, yes, you can. If you have the tiniest, tiniest seed of faith in your life, the tiniest hint of the life of God then you will be able to do this. And if you're not able to forgive, listen to me, if you're not able to forgive, that is evidence that you don't actually have that seed of faith. Because Jesus says the tiniest little seed of faith will allow you to be able to live in this way. This is Christianity. This is discipleship 101. (laughs) Where did it all begin? It began with us being forgiven. So step one of the Christian journey, forgive. You don't get that right, you're not taking any more steps. If you don't get that right, you'd indicate that you haven't even taken one step. Forgiveness is part of the package. It is fundamental. It is the basics. You've been forgiven. If you now have faith, if you've received the forgiveness and the grace and the life of the Spirit, and you are now a person of faith, even if you feel that faith is tiny, If it's there and it's real, you will be able to forgive. You will be able to do. A little bit of genuine faith can accomplish an awful lot. And to forgive people takes faith. It takes trust in God. It takes the life of the Spirit in us to have that attitude of overlooking wrongs and forgiving and releasing them. And this tree, according to scholars, is the black mulberry tree. And and I kid you not, I quote, this tree has a vast root system that enables it to live for up to 600 years. Some people, if they lived for 600 years, they'd hold a grudge for the whole lot. (laughs) Got to get rid of the tree. Got to root it out. Got to exercise faith and see that tree of hurt and pain and grudge and offense rooted out of our lives and then put into the sea. And when we think of something that's taken and put into the sea, then we might think of Micah 7 where God will have compassion on us, where God will tread all of our iniquities underfoot 
where he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God doesn't have a grudge tree. Thank God. He doesn't have a grudge tree. He has cast, he has uprooted by means of another tree. By means of a cross, he has uprooted the sin and, and he has uprooted any notion of unforgiveness and he has cast it into the depths of the sea so that we could receive his forgiveness. He does not hold grudges against us. And the grammar of the Greek here, actually in, in verse 6, suggests that the tree is ready and willing to obey before the command is even given. The tree wants to be uprooted. It wants to be taken away and it's waiting for the command. Jesus goes on to tell a short parable, which I'll just summarize very briefly. A servant has done his full day's work. Now, we don't get this parable because we don't get first century servant-slave type relationships. A servant has done his day's work and comes into the house and sees you sitting by the fire, having your afternoon tea and reading the paper. And you would think to yourself, well, I'm a nice person. At that point, I would say to the servant, oh, come on, join me. Have a cup of tea and let's, let's chill and have a chat. But no, the master says, make my dinner. <laughs> you know, go, you know, serve me. You've done your work out in the fields. Now gird yourself and prepare a meal and serve me. And you don't get your food until I get mine. And we think that's really harsh. But that is exactly the way that life works. That's the way that a master and a servant related to each other. And there was absolutely nothing wrong with that. And in verse 10. In verse 10. uh, We have this weird little phrase at the end. We are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. In other words, when you come in from doing your day's work in the field and and then you come into the house and you prepare your master's food and you wait on your master as he eats his food, don't expect any special recognition. You haven't done anything special. You've only done what a servant should do. And again, I want to relate this back to forgiveness. Whenever we forgive people, we're just doing what Christians do. We're just doing what followers of Jesus do. Don't be, don't be coming and, and saying, oh, I forgive that person. I'm I so special and don't I merit something great from God. Because God would say, no, you're just doing what Christians do. I'm glad you did it, but it, this, is, this is basics. This is fundamentals. Our actions should stem from a, a life of faith rather than us thinking that we get any special favor for carrying them out. My forgiveness of someone is not special. It's not unexpected. It's not above and beyond. It is simply the normal practice of a servant of God. It's a trait of the disciple and it's a practice of the servant. And we're simply doing what we see Jesus do. We're seeing what we saw the Father do, uprooting that tree and, and of sin and casting it into the depths of the sea. And we're seeing what Jesus did as he hung on the tree because his last words that he spoke in John were the words, it is finished. And again, many of you will know that that's a financial economic term. It literally means paid in full. The debts cancelled. He took it all in his pain rather than Forcing pain on us. He took all that pain of the hurt and the offense and the sin on himself. And he paid the debt in full. Completely cleared what we had against God. 
and he expects us as evidence that we have the tiniest little seed of faith to do the same. If you are aware of roots of unforgiveness in your heart, I tell you, you have the faith and you have the power in the spirit to root out that tree and to cast it into the sea and to be free and to free others. If you don't, nothing in your life will grow. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and it will affect, it will go deep and it will affect not only you and, and the other person who offended you, it could affect lots of other relationships, it could affect an entire church. If someone has a wee grudge tree in their heart with the roots spreading out, it could be just sucking down nutrients everywhere so that nothing can grow. This is so important. <laughs> so important. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, the amazing payment of our debts on the cross by Jesus. We worship you and we praise you for your forgiveness, Lord. May we never sing of it or think of it in a way that it becomes familiar, that it becomes something that we feel we deserve or that we have earned, Lord. And when we forgive others, may we not jump about and make a fuss about it as if we've done some super Christian thing. We have just done what a servant should do. We have just exercised the faith that you have given us, Lord. So I pray, God, if in any heart, including my own, if there is anything trying to grow, trying to take hold underneath the ground, in the darkness, unseen, if there are roots that are trying to spread and anchor a grudge, in the name of Jesus, we, we root those out. We root them out because we want our relationships to be strong and healthy. We want the flowers to grow. We want the fruit to be produced in this church and in our lives. So Father, Holy Spirit, come and put your finger on those things. And the smallest faith, it's not about the size of our faith. It's about the size of our God. The smallest faith can root out those trees. Thank you, Jesus. Bless our relationships, Father. Guard this house. Guard our unity, Lord. Guard our hearts, Father. And may we watch ourselves when we are offended. May the first response, Jesus, be that we watch ourselves. We watch our own hearts rather than the hearts of others. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and move in power as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.